Well, this is family, yeah? The title of the message today is literally is called The Family because even though Remnant Church and our brother churches in the One Association have always preached on the importance of family, I think after we've got to set ourselves out in the open, right there in the middle of the Denton Square, I, I was praying and I felt like the Lord just wanted to remind us of a few things as we continue to do the work that he's asked us to do. Amen? Amen. So, to start, to start this off today, I want to remind you guys that the family, the family is the base of all work Yahweh has ever done. Today, we're going to, by way of the scriptures, sift through the work he has always been doing, the work he has started already in us, and the work that he will continue to do all in the context of the family. Last Sunday, Pastor Mike preached and taught on what? What'd you say? Keepers of the flame. Pastor Mike preached on how whenever Yahweh comes and starts a fire somewhere, that it is our jobs as his priests, as priests of his presence, to maintain that very fire right there in our hearts. What once was in a temple and in a tabernacle is now abiding fully in you. Amen? Amen. Man, we are missing like a third, if not more, of our church this morning. I'm going to need y'all to be interactive. Otherwise, it's getting awkwardly quiet in here. And I left that scene a long time ago. A bunch of stale, boring, judgmental Christians. I was one of them. I can say it. So, Pastor Mike, he preached last Sunday on how we ought to keep the fire. It is our job to keep it. He... Yahweh is faithful to start something in us, and he's faithful to see it all the way to the finish, but we have a responsibility to come and cooperate with him in a reciprocal relationship, right? Can marriages be one-sided? No! Can friendships be one-sided? No, because it requires, it's indicative of two people working together. It's the exact same thing with him. He is faithful, and he has always been faithful, and he always will be faithful. And do we not at times let that fire go all the way down to a smoldering wick, and we need him to come and help us a little bit, right? Just like how Moses himself did not operate, though, in his calling alone, remember the first ones who were told about keeping the flame keeping the fire on the altar burning forever it was Aaron and his sons it was the very line of the priesthood well just like how Moses was not given a call on his own meaning that he had Aaron his brother working with him Aaron himself was not a single generational work going on it was Aaron And it was promised to him and to his sons and to their sons and to every generation forever afterwards. Let me tell you guys, God has always intended to work through the family unit. And so often we we commercialize 
our faith. We commercialize the church system and we make a huge show out of it. We put on a whole performance and we all get job titles and, and business cards with pastor this, prophet that, apostle this, and we have no sons to show for it. No brothers to show for it. Whenever you're in your greatest time of need, where is everybody? Right? We're the ones that are going to come run after you whenever you've stepped away from your Father in heaven. Who are the ones that are going to come run after you, grab you by the shirt and say, in the name of Jesus right now, we're going to come back and we're going to go meet with Dad and we're going to talk to him right now and get this whole thing resolved because you are not walking away from this. Church, this... This is why I felt like God wanted me to just remind us this morning of some of these things. Because what we have right here is not common almost anywhere. And I of all people can take, can take for granted the incredible blessing of what we have here. There are people who speak in tongues, who prophesy, who preach and teach well, and lay their hands on people and see them miraculously healed everywhere and die alone. And don't have sons and daughters coming after them to continue the work that they were called to do. Who d never made a disciple. They made a lot of converts or they made a lot of followers on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook or on the internet or on TV, but they don't have people that are right there at their side and pick up that weight right whenever it's starting to get too heavy for them and say, I got this with you and we're going to do this thing forever together. We're going to work through a few places when I say a few it's going to be a lot but it'll be a lot of fun we're going to look through a few places in the scriptures today and if you're a note taker you'll you'll especially like today because um we're we got this thing organized amen yeah. come, on. come on all right we're going to start in Genesis chapter two y'all turn there with me before I go on a mad rant for 20 minutes on this subject Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. For those who are note-taking, you can title this section right here, The Intention. Because God never fails. There is an entire theological system called dispensationalism that completely is built upon the idea that God started something and God couldn't finish it so he had to restart something with somebody else over again he is he has been victorious from since before the foundations of the earth and he knew just exactly what his creation could do he is victorious he always will be victorious always has been victorious and we don't need to start putting lines on the timeline and cutting it up into pieces so that we can blank out this group of people and that group of people as if they failed and God failed and it just all had to be rebooted over again. So this was the intention of how God wants to work on the earth. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, it says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone. Pause there. I mean, we could... We could stop there, and this whole message called the family could, I mean, we, I could just let you fill in the blanks. It is not good for man to be alone. This was spoken regarding 
Adam then receiving a helper, a wife. But in principle, it said right there, the first mention was that it's not good for man to go without a wife. It said it is not good for man to be alone, is what it says. Now, hallelujah, he got, he got a, as Pastor Mike says, a whoa man instead of just another man in the garden with him. And in this way, they were actually able to, um, you know, live out their calling and multiply and take dominion over the earth. Hallelujah. It says, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called a living creature, that was its name. Wow, right there, starting in a man, he's gaining a family. And he's taking dominion over God's creation. And God gave him the authority to even name what God himself created. The man gave names to all the cattle. I'm sorry. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. Verse 21. And he slept. Then he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. The Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called, as Pastor Mike says, whoa, man. Because she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Before there was ever a fall, before there was ever anything that damaged the family unit, there was a shamelessness right there inside the family. So question number one, if this is the intention, mankind taking dominion over the earth, gaining a helper suitable for him, a gift from God, following all of the instructions that God has given mankind up to this point. Just with what you see already, do you, do you ever find yourself living in the blessing of family right at home, but so caught up in shame that you can't even look at each other? As a husband, you don't want to think or feel or recall the things that you did yesterday or the things you said you would do, but you didn't do. I hate that one. My wife holds me accountable on every word that comes out of my mouth. Hallelujah. But what about the shame that we can have abiding right in our houses? The intention was that not only would there be a family, but they would be unashamed, unashamedly working together in the calling in their life with no criticism and, and just barking at each other and ha having to have the last word in a fight. All that stuff, guys. This was the intention. Turn a few pages over to, or maybe one page in your Bible, Genesis chapter 3, verse 7. We're going to be brief on the falling part because y'all, we all already know this, and it's not really the point of today, but I want to give you some full context here. Genesis chapter 3, verse 7. 
says, Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of God. Then the Lord God called to the man, and he said, Where are you? Guys, can you see that there is a faithful Father in heaven that whenever you are not walking with Him the way that you ought to, He comes and He finds you and He says, Where are you? As if He doesn't know where you are. He wants you to come running back to Him so that He can reestablish the intended way He always wanted His work to be done and it was within the family. Not just Adam and Eve. Adam, Eve, living unashamedly with Yahweh in a place of perfection and intimacy. That's what he always wanted. With no knowledge of sin, even. Remember? That was the tree that they actually ate from. It was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God saw fit that that was the one that they did not need to eat from. They did not need to know the difference between good and evil because they were living in perfect relationship with Yahweh. They didn't need to know what sin was. They were right there with their father who, who created them, who would restore these things for them because it was operating within the original intention of the family. So this is the fall that we're reading about here. The man said, in verse 11, it says, And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman who you gave to be with me, she gave me from the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you've done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. Guys, what you need to be able to see here is is that if he, if the enemy himself cannot lure you, right, into outright turning your back on God in a way that you despise him and you are standing shoulder to shoulder with the deceiver himself working directly against Yahweh, he will start with starting, he will start with enmity between a man and his wife, between a son and his father. He'll start right there in dissolving the family unit inside the house, right there at home, to make sure that eventually you will turn back on God himself. And then what happens? This is how we know that whenever you let the enemy successfully come in and start picking apart your family, Understand, I'm not only talking about husbands and wives and biological sons and daughters. I'm talking about those of us in this room right here. Whenever he gets in the middle and starts picking us apart from each other, and then Yahweh comes to restore it, what happens so often? What, What have I done? What about you? What about you? Whenever Yahweh comes to restore it, 
right there in your bedroom, what's the first thought that comes to mind? It was her fault. It's, it was his fault. He said that to me the way that he did. She did that to me. He convinced me to do it. And we don't even let him restore the very thing that he first blessed us with. And then we can't look at brothers at church in the eyes anymore. And then we can't look at our wives the same anymore. And then we can't even hear from him because he's trying to restore the relationships that we don't want to have restored because we would rather be mad and blame somebody else. The enemy will go for your family, for this family in this room. Now, we're building up. I'll give you some foresight here. We are building up to an answer for how we, as Remnant Church, will be an evangelistic, spirit-filled, prophetic front, front line going out to bring the, into the home, into the family. But we need to understand why some of us in this room feel like we're in a stalemate, stalemate right now. With the enemy. It's like, enemy can't do anything more. I'm about, my, I feel like everything sucks about as bad as it can get. And I don't feel like I can get an upper hand back on the enemy again. I just feel stuck. We're going to be able to reveal some of these things today so that you and I and every single one of us in this room as a family can go and redeem the land that God put us in. Look at verse 14. This is the promise. Genesis 3, 14 says, The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you will go and dust you will eat all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed between your family and her family. He shall bruise you on the head or he shall crush your head and you shall bruise him on the heel. The promise that Yahweh gives even the enemy in this moment prophesying right then and there from the very beginning of our Bibles was that the same thing that Satan just tried to destroy God's creation that was created in his image the same thing that satan went after first causing separation between them and their father and them from each other was the same way that god himself was going to come back and crush the very head of the enemy the answer has always been from the very start the family not big church buildings not wealthy ministries not marketing campaigns. None of it. That was never the answer. Can I tell you that whenever a ministry, whenever a ministry is filled with the Holy Spirit, true to the Scriptures, and operate as a family, there is not one thing in hell that can stop them. Any time I have been a part of a local work that is genuinely acting like a family, there is not a demon that can walk in that place that sticks around for five minutes. I've seen it at more than one ministry here in this town, y'all. 
whenever a room is operating like a family, nothing stands against God. That was the promise. But what about the reinitiation? Because God, in His faithfulness, will not let the enemy continue to keep that family unit separate. Look at Genesis chapter 18. At some point we're going to get out of Genesis, but, you know. We don't really need to, honestly. Everything prophetically about the victory of God is completely found in the book of Genesis. If you ask Joshua, he'll walk you through all the Hebrew letters and everything about how the Hebrew sages say you don't even need anything more than the book of Genesis at times because everything was already displayed right there. <laughs> Are you all in Genesis 18? Genesis 18, verse 17 says, The Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Since Abraham will surely, surely become a great and mighty nation, and in him all the nations of the earth will be blessed. For I have chosen him so that he may command his children. Or in some translations, it's, it doesn't say may, it says because he is a man who will command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring upon Abraham what he has spoken about him. There was a promise that through Abraham's seed, all of the world would be blessed. Every nation would be blessed. The messianic promise was already given in Genesis 3, and then we're seeing it again in Genesis chapter 18. And it's all in the context of a man and his family. It wasn't a guy running solo. It was a guy who had a family, had a movement going on. He didn't even have to have children from his own womb to be a man of authority in his environment. And even in his old age, God gave him his children and said, through that seed, I'm going to bless every nation in the earth. We see, we see a promise of expansion in the family in Genesis chapter 28. Turn a few pages over to Genesis chapter 28. Whenever a family, whenever a man is leading a family, whenever brothers come together and lead their families together as one big family for the name of God, for the glory of God, this is the very way that we take every bit of this earth back for God. And it's the way God always intended it. Genesis chapter 28, verse 13 says, And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. He's talking to Jacob here. He just said, I'm the God of your granddaddy, of your daddy, and everyone else in your family and all of their servants and all of their co-workers and everyone who runs with you who ran with your granddaddy and who ran with your daddy all of them I'm, I'm their God yeah. 
He says, the land on which you lie, I will give it to you and to your descendants. Still family. Your descendants will also be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and in your descendants shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. He was afraid and said, How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. And this is the gate. Of heaven. Isn't that incredible? Long before there was a tabernacle, we're talking 500 years at least before there's a, even a tabernacle. He says, This is the house of God. The house of God is where a man meets with Yahweh and builds an altar there and says that for me and my family, this is the land you gave me. This is the household you gave me. These are the brothers and the sisters you gave me, gave me to do this thing with. And I'm not going anywhere until I hear you speak again. Y'all, we are missing that kind of commitment in the local church today. We got charismatic fire chasers running around everywhere. Looking for the next shiny thing going on. We got faithless people. In churches everywhere, that every time their pastor says something that they don't like, they get mad and they run away. Every time that they preach a message that hurt their flesh a little bit, I'm running away. I don't like what you said. Thank the Lord God's bringing texts up in here because he can actually take those kind of hard words. That's a real man over there, let me tell you. Dude's got bear claws for hands. You guys hear how many times he said descendants and mentioned his household and family and your people and the people and not Jacob? He's talking to a man, but giving him a familial corporate vision. Yes, of course, I know. I had so many people ask me in the last few days, but what about whenever God speaks to just me? Yes, he speaks to just us. We go in the private place and we speak with them. He speaks to us. We meet with him, and he is always working us towards a corporate, familial vision. Not by yourself, not alone in your house, not even only alone with your wife. Y'all became one flesh, so you don't count as two people anymore. Listen to just how much God has always been faithful to pursue this stuff. I'll just read this one to you. Y'all know it, and you could probably say it with me by memory. But in Malachi chapter 4, verses 4 through 6, it says, Remember the law of Moses, my certain, even the statutes and the ordinances which I commanded him in Horeb for all of Israel. Behold, I am going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. 
He will restore, say restore, the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. So that I will not come and smite the lamb with a curse. He is always restoring sons to fathers and fathers to sons. He's always restoring that because you know how you learn how to be a good dad to your biological children and to disciples? You get to walk with a good dad. There are not very many cases that I've got to see where a man actually fathered his family or others that God brought into his life well who didn't have a good father in their life. And I'm not talking about a hopeless thing where if you grew up without a dad, then you're just stuck and there's no chance for you. I'm talking about whenever you saw that father in the faith walk up in your life and then you still said no because you're too busy with your calling. You're too busy with your anointing, too busy with your mantle. All the glitter floating around your head. and So special, right? We're so special. And then whenever real fathers and real mothers and real brothers and real sisters walk up and say, you're my family, and I want to do this thing with you forever. I want to glorify our God together every day for the rest of our lives. And then people are like, hmm, you know, I'm kind of busy. I'm like, what, being miserable and lonely? That, that's what you're busy with? Again, I can say this stuff because that was me. I was criticizing all the people that were jumping up and down and joy, like real joy and worship. I criticized the people that... You know, we're so tight-knit. I'm like, oh, you know, that's weird. That's too much for me. And now I'm like, I'm looking at these very scriptures I'm reading with you today, and I'm like, there is no way around this. There's no way around this. You cannot say, I can do this without the family of God. You can't. If you want to try, we can talk after church. I'll eat a salad next to you. We'll have a good time. Everybody will assume that you're the one that's arguing with me, though. So um, now nobody's going to sit next to me at lunch. Hallelujah. Guys, God has always been pursuing restoring the family. And whenever you get an invite, like how I got an invite, during a time of need, whenever I needed one of those dads more than anything in the world, I didn't need a 10-step plan. I didn't need a good prophetic word and a slap on the butt out the door. I needed a dad. I needed a man to come take me by the hand and walk me through the sludge that I had caused in my life. I'm training myself to not say other words. The mess that I had made in my life. <laughs> Can y'all tell that we need those dads in our lives? We have a faithful father in heaven, and he makes his character manifest in other men around you. And it's supposed to be you too. We're going to have to do this thing together, though. Y'all want to see how Jesus starts moving in this thing? Let's go to our Newer Testament. Look at John chapter 1. Oh, 
This stuff gets me lit up, dude. Let me tell you. John chapter 1, verse 11. It says, He came to His own. Jesus came to His own people. And those who were His own did not receive Him. These people in their cranky, miserable, religious lives hating their lives and hating everybody else around them and so busy, so full of vile, judgmental junk that they couldn't see the love of their Father in Heaven standing right there in front of them. But as many as received Him, come on, to them He gave the right to become children of God. It wasn't just about sons of... Abraham anymore. It wasn't just about sons of Isaac anymore. It wasn't just about sons of Jacob anymore. It was as many as received Yeshua. They, be, they were given the right to be sons of God. This is the intersection. This is the intersection of the, of the family unit that God created on the earth intersecting with the heavenly family unit and coming into one place and, G, and Jesus saying, if you would just receive me. You, that will be your father over there. But I'm giving you access to something that you don't have yet. And you're going to get to run the rest of your life with a father in heaven who is working on your behalf and a father right there in front of you who is living out the very character of your father in heaven. Sonship. Everything, everything is built on sonship. Jesus clarifies this in Mark chapter 3. In case you were confused about family, Jesus helps us a lot in Mark chapter 3, verse 31. He says, it says that, Then his mother and his brothers arrived, and standing outside, they sent word to him and called him. A crowd was sitting around him, Jesus and they said to him, Behold, your mother and your brothers are outside looking for you. Answering them, he said, Who are my mother and my brothers? Answering them. Not answering his mother and brothers at the door. Answering the people who say, Hey, your mom and brothers are outside. Looking about at those who were sitting around him, he said, Behold, my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. This is not for the purpose of going and deleting family members every time they step out of line on something. That's not what we're talking about. Somebody's going to take a clip and be like, they tell them to get rid of their family. No, we're not talking about deleting family members out of your life. I'm talking about knowing how much more important Jesus' blood being spilt and causing us to become family is more than the blood and the DNA that you share with somebody or the last name that you share with somebody. The blood of the covenant is infinitely more valuable than the water of the womb. This is what family is. His blood washed over every one of us is what made us family. 
Most of y'all probably wouldn't have even liked me all that much. I wouldn't have liked you that much either if it weren't for Jesus. But hey, we're family now, and you're never getting rid of me. You're stuck like Chuck. Chuck in a truck for the rest of your life. Until Jesus says otherwise. So in Mark chapter 3, Jesus clarifies. This is the clarification. He clarifies who our family is. So we just went through all of our Older Testament where God was working through a man and his wife and his children and their expanding family tree. And in Mark chapter 3, Jesus makes it clear that we are not only talking about those who we share blood and DNA with. We're talking about the local movement of those who were obedient to the word of the Lord. Can y'all agree with that? In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, it says, For who regards you as superior? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? You are already filled. You have become rich. You have become kings without us. And indeed, I wish that you had become kings so that we might reign with you. Paul had quite the sense of humor. For I think God has exhibited us apostles, last of all men, as men condemned to death, because we have become a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ, but you are so prudent. We are weak, but you are so strong. You are distinguished, but we are without honor. To this present hour, we are both hungry and thirsty and are poorly clothed and roughly treated and homeless and we toil working with our own hands when we are reviled we bless when we are persecuted we endure when we are slandered we try to conciliate we have become as the scum of the world the dregs of all things even until now I do not write these things to shame you but to admonish you as my beloved children says Paul a non-divine human being filled with the Holy Spirit working apostolically in a church movement. For if you were to have countless tutors in Christ, yet you would not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I exhort you to be imitators of me. You know how many articles you'd get written about you if you really preach that message these days? That dude's so arrogant. He's so prideful. Yeah, because people don't understand. They've not walked into churches that actually operate like a family. Yeah. Like Morgan would look at his sons and say, do this the way that I'm showing you to do it. That's not absurd, Right? But it sounds really crazy these days that you would walk into a church setting and a man of God would look to another man of God and say, if you do these things the way that I'm doing them with me, you'll also find yourself running after him the way that I'm running after him. And then we'll do this thing together for him, for his glory and not for mine. But it takes having to have the, that close of relationships with each other to be able to know that. 
It says, for this reason, I sent you Timothy, who is my beloved and faithful son in the Lord. And he will remind you of my ways, which are in Christ, just as I teach everyone in every church. Listen, that word tutors there is pedagogos. Say pedagogos. Kind of a fun word to say, right? Well, it's not all that fun. It's a tutor, a counselor, or a teacher. Come on, everybody likes school, right? All the homeschool kids say, yeah, I love my mom. No, but there's seriously a difference between pedagogos and patro, which is father. Pedagogos is indicative of something that, that holds you and binds you in a place until you go out somewhere else. And it's not familial, it's more like a jail cell. Does that make sense? Like it's, it's like a safekeeping, it's like putting a kid in a playpen. That's a better example than a jail cell. Yeah, so it's like putting a kid in a playpen, right? Wouldn't it be better if that child was walking around with mom or dad, holding their hand, walking through life, figuring stuff out together, rather than getting thrown in the playpen alone for hours at a time? I get it. We got to do it at times, contain the little crazy children while work gets done. But listen, pedagogos is a teacher. It's what is referenced in Galatians as the law. Whenever Galatians describes that we were held up under the law of sin until the Spirit came. And in, from the Spirit of Christ, we are set free and we are called sons. There is an entire difference from the teacher called the law to the Father himself doing a work in us. Right here in Galatians chapter 3, it says it. It says, is the law then contrary to the promises of God? May it never be. For if a law had been given, which was able to impart life, then righteousness would indeed have been based on law. But the scripture But Torah has shut up everyone under sin so that the promise by faith in Christ Jesus might be given to those who believe, not just those who do what they're supposed to do. Why is this important for today's message? Because so many of us have been taught in churches our whole lives, just behave this way, 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 act like this, act like this, act like this. But what happens whenever you step out of line? Where's dad? Where are your brothers? Are they running after you to restore you? Or are they throwing missiles at you? It might feel like missiles, don't get me wrong. Sometimes it hurts when dads and brothers come, come running after you. Some of y'all have done that bef- for me before. I've got to do it for some of you before. It don't feel good all the time. But we need it. Yeah. But are they coming to restore or are they coming just to cause damage? It says, therefore, the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ so that we might be justified by faith. Listen, the tutor does not save you. Sonship with Yahweh by way of brotherhood with Yeshua is what saves us. It is always the family that saves. It is by the family unit that God works. It is not by teachers standing behind computers 
You are not going to have your life changed by just listening to what I'm telling you today. If you do not respond to what I'm telling you today, and we're going to get into some real practical applications here in just a moment. But if you don't listen and respond and let the work of Yeshua work on you today, and you repent, metanoia, change the way that you're thinking, and then let him change your behaviors according to your new way of thinking, then you are just going to keep acting a certain way and then come back to the altar crying again next week, repenting for the same thing over and over and over again because your mind never changed, your heart never changed, but you've been doing behavioral management your whole stinking life. There's the rant that I promised you would come up at some point. Before we get into our practical results, listen to Revelation chapter 21. It says in verse 5, And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write for, those, write for these words are faithful and true. Then he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And I will give to the one who thirsts from the springs of water of from the springs of water of life without cost he who overcomes will inherit these things and i will be his god and he will be my son even all the way to our last moments in the book of revelation there's continuing there's a continued tone of inheritance and sonship, and family with God, which means family with other people around you. This is why the whole, if I were to go and say, where's Ashlyn at? Right there. If I were to go and say, that, that guy over there, Brian Schobert, he's my dad, but she's not my sister. What? That doesn't make any sense. We literally have the same two parents. She is my sister. That is my dad. She is my sister by way of that that is my dad. Right? Does that make sense? If we're going to claim sonship with the Father in heaven, then we're going to have to get in agreement with the other people at our, on our left and on our right and learn how to do this thing together. If you have never experienced these things I'm talking about today personally, and you, and you are new in this room, this is his word for you. Search diligently for the manifestation of these things. Give yourself wholly to this way of life that you may be fruitful in his calling on your life. If you desire to see these things coming out of your life, but you may identify your personal family as inconsistent or simply new to behaving as a real family, then this is the word for you today. Be sober in your judgment of the state of your life. Remember, you were called to bear fruit and fruit that remains. This means your family will certainly bear fruit, but whether it is good fruit or good fruit that remains depends totally on your ability today to humble yourself and by way of vulnerability, truly plug your household into this corporate family that you may reproduce what you see in a few people in this room. If you know that you or your family, if you have one, 
is genuinely, vulnerably plugged into this corporate family, then his word for you today is this. The ministry you are called to, be it in a seat of governance in a church or not, is rooted in and founded upon the revelation of sonship in Yahweh and in an adoption into his family. His family's way of life and close relationships with the ones he brings you near to. I want you to have real clarity and empowerment today to be everything he is making you to be and know that it, that it just isn't as complicated as we make it out to be. The calling on your life is not that complicated. I promise it's not. If you would get in tune with the familial nature of the kingdom and you would get to move in these things with brothers and with fathers, with sisters and with mothers, then we look around and be like, well, God, these are the people you told me to be with. This is the land you told me to be in. This is the work you've put right in front of me. So unless you say otherwise, this must be what you've called me to do right here. We say that these problems that I've been mentioning today, though, are generational, they're seasonal or regional. Yet the same issues have been going on since the beginning in every era in every region, in every movement. How do we know this? There have been very few moves of the Spirit, in which case we see generational continuation of it. I'm talking revivals, reformations, things like that. We rarely see in church history a a multi-generational continuation of a breakout of the Holy Spirit. How long did everybody watch the Jesus movie that came out recently what was it called Jesus Revolution yeah the Jesus movement how long did that last I'm talking about can you trace the movement going on we saw it dissipate in years how if you were to go look at Brownsville today nothing going on there it's desolate it's done If you were to go to Azusa Street, desolate, one of the worst areas in California, desolate. There is not a lasting work going on there. Why? It's not because those works weren't genuine. They were genuine from the start, every single one of them. But we have to continue in the familial nature of the kingdom. We see this in Acts chapter 16, where Paul comes to Derb and to Lystra, and he calls Timothy to come and be at his side. Timothy was the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer and, and the son of a father who was a pagan Greek. It says in verse 2 that he was well spoken of by the brothers who were in Lystra and Iconium. And Paul wanted this young man to go with him. Sounds a lot like when Jesus said that, when it says that Jesus went up on the mountainside and called to him those whom he wanted. It it, it wasn't that he saw shining stars with the best potential. He was like, man, something in my heart is moving for you right here, and I'm telling you, come be with me, and we're going to do this thing together. Timothy is a great example, though there are many examples in our scriptures. He was ethnically different from Paul. He was raised in less than desirable conditions, a split household, a mom that believed and a dad that didn't. 
He was already a faithful disciple to Jesus, and there is no mention of any great abilities, anointings, or mantles, or anything. It just says that the brothers spoke well of him, and that he was a faithful disciple that grew up in a split home. That's, what, that's the context that we get in Acts 16. There does seem to be mention of some of those things that catches Paul's eye, and he invites Timothy to come with him, and yet there were immediate difficulties. There were immediate opportunities for the, this new father and son relationship to get broken up. In the same chapter, Paul gets arrested and thrown into prison. Timothy could have been like, whoa, I didn't sign up for this one. See ya. Uh, like I've signed up to like learn from this this wise guy that's like building up this like building up churches. I didn't sign up to go to prison. Now Timothy went where Paul went. The re- the reality is that the scriptures started with a family. Familial ties familial ties are broken even between man and God, and between man and his wife, and in between brothers, as we see in Cain and Abel immediately after a fall of. A marriage and man with God, we start to see brothers turning on each other. It's just like whenever the Lord called me to stop everything that I was doing in my life and to begin to run after him. I said, Lord, do you want me to go to seminary? He's like, no. I'm going to give you men in your life who will take you by the hand and will walk with you and show you how to walk with me. Radical idea. It's called discipleship. It's right here in our Bible. (laughs) You would have think I killed some of my family members whenever I told them that, though. When Jesus calls each one of us, he calls us not to, in, not to come in and be a Western-style student in a classroom like what churches are commercializing everywhere so that you can pay your 10% to their business so that they can get the bigger building than the church down the road. We're talking about a faithfulness to a family, doing a work together. This is why we don't move forward very well as a church if one of our core families are not in shalom. Can you feel that? I feel that. (laughs) Listen. The time and place that God calls men to walk alone is completely contrary to his intended design and is purposeful to get you to a local family where you will be walking in his intended design. Many young up-and-coming ministers will say, well, I'm going to go and start one where I'm at or where I'm going. Probably not. More than likely, you'll make a strong attempt. Look at what I've, look at what I've um, come to find. I'm sorry. As the healthiest, um, look, they would look at what I've come to find being right here at Remnant, the healthiest example and expression of a local church family, and then strive in their own strength to recreate something that they never participated in. This is kind of like being a nuclear physicist, making a, making a nuclear diffusion machine inside of his garage with lawnmower parts. Like, with a manual. Like, maybe... That'd be kind of crazy, though. It would be really helpful if you actually went and 
walked through this with a nuclear physicist, right? Because making a, making a nuclear fission machine for energy is actually easier with lawnmower parts than it is to have a successful local family of God, I've come to find. It is more complicated doing this right here, I am convinced. I studied science in college, and this is way more difficult than anything I ever read in books in college. Listen, we're going to bring this to a close today. Number one, if you are new in this room, or at least relatively new, or you find that you and your family have been keeping an arm's length distance while being here, a part of this particular local kingdom family, this is a word for you. In Acts chapter 2, verse 37 through 47, I'll summarize it for you. In 42, it says, They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common, and they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, that they were taking meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart praising God and having favor with the people. All in the Lord was adding to their number day by day. We can't do this thing at arm's length distance anymore. Guys, like I said, this is more of a family meeting with a couple new people that already feel like family to me. There are some of us who have been in this room for a long time. And you still do the arm's length thing. We got to stop that. I hope that in this lengthy message today that you're probably already tired of listening to. This is intended to literally wear you out today. I have no concern for your growling stomach or anything like that. Because you guys are my family. I love you guys. And I don't mean that in some casual way. This is my family. This is what I've given everything in my life for. There is not a dollar to my name. There is not an asset to my name. There is not an aspiration in my heart that does not involve you guys. This is everything. And this is exactly what we read about in Acts chapter 2. And it wasn't only the church governance leaders. It was everybody doing this together. If you find that you and your family are not in tune with the familial nature of what's going on here, and you also find that your inner peace regarding sonship with God is forever swinging like a pendulum, or that your family's shalom is ever fleeting, listen to Galatians chapter 3. Verse 1, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? This is the only thing I want to find out from you, did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing and faith? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? So then, does he who provides you with the Spirit and works miracles around you, do it by the works of the law, by the pedagogos, 
a non-familial system that teaches you something. Law. Or by hearing with faith. Even so, Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith who are sons of Abraham. Do you see how that just came full circle on us right there? If you're going to try to accomplish this by behavioral management, choking yourself out to try to get the sin out of your life because you're ashamed of what's going on, you can't do it. It doesn't work. I've tried for too many years, I promise. But whenever I let that dude right here actually get up in my business, in my heart, and actually minister to me when I needed it most, all of a sudden, most of the problems in my life started running away. When I started to reveal my sin in my life with him, all of a sudden, I was ten times more defended because then I got this dude and this dude and this dude and several others of you all standing on every one of my blind spots telling me, you're about to get hit. Hey, come back. You stepped out of line. Come over here. I'm guarded, y'all. Like, I am defended. And it's not by my pride, my wisdom, by my in intelligence. It's not by any of it. It's not by money. It's by you. Y'all are the ones that make me feel safe. And it's God who gave us to each other. If you find yourself and or your family to be in the be in flow with everything that's going on that I'm talking about and you're trying to understand what to do next we're closing with this Romans chapter 8 verse 14 this is going to help you clarify what's coming up in your life for all who are being led by the spirit of God these are the sons of God simple for you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. I don't know if I'm called to be a pastor. I'm called to be an evangelist. I'm called to be an MMA fighter. I don't know if I'm going to be called... The, the, the. the earth is yearning for the revealing of the sons of God. I don't know what your title is going to be. Let the other people around you determine what your title is going to be by the way you operate around them. You go be the revealed son of God in your environment and see what happens. And that's exactly how God's going to redeem his creation because that's what they're crying out for. You know what the Spirit, you know that the Spirit testifies that you are sons of God. You know that the present difficulties cannot compare to the glory that is to be revealed in us in this age, not when we get to heaven or after the rapture or whatever your eschatological standings are. Right now, know today there is an anxious longing in the creation, and this means every one of us are going to have to get on board with this sonship thing. 
with this brotherhood thing, with this sisterhood thing. Just, so what is the cosmos anxiously longing for? Just a few real sons, brothers, daughters, sisters, moms, and dads just to show up and be the family of God. It's not complicated. I don't have to be a clever preacher that can rhyme my words and can make Instagram posts with flashing letters behind. I don't have to be that guy. What I need to do is come and build up the family of Jesus and then go out and be the family of Jesus and then invite people into the family of Jesus. Problem solved. Sin gets destroyed in the world. And it wasn't by my clever preaching. Do not complicate the ministry of the gospel and of the Holy Spirit. Your sonship in Yahweh, your expression of his love and this family and your invitation to the orphans you meet on the square on Friday nights and everywhere else the rest of your life is the answer to it all. Heed my words today. Your fivefold calling, your anointing, your mantle is no good in this kingdom without a deep-seated, thought-changing, heart-changing, life-changing revelation of your sonship in Abba. Your place in a real local family and real fathers and real mothers and real brothers and real sisters, you know you can look at and say, I may be sent by the wind of the Spirit over there in that state or in that country, but I know God meant it when he said it was not good for man to be alone. I know Jesus knew what he was doing when he sent men out in twos and threes, and I know Paul was led by the Holy Spirit when he could always be found with a brother or a son at his side. The work of Satan himself has always been to rip apart the family. And if he can't get your marriage, he'll wedge in between you and the minister's. You and the kingdom family members in your life just long enough so that eventually you'll grow dim at heart for your spouse and for your kids and even God himself. We are out in the open more than ever before and he has been faithful to build a core family right here at Remnant Church. And it was not so that you could continue to feel licensed to live according to the flesh and have the same broken record conversations with brothers and fathers about reoccurring sin in your life. That's not a criticism to you. It's saying there's so much more for us. We don't have the broken record conversations when we're living like real family with each other. Come alive today, church, in the revelation of your sonship in God. Let his heart begin to work a love in you that binds you with those sitting next to you. And finally, let's go take the anxiously groaning creation by the hand and say, come to my home. I've got an Abba in heaven, a father on earth, and brothers and sisters who cannot wait to meet you. This is the family. This is everything he meant it to be. And in his goodness, we are only growing in a more perfect expression of the family and kingdom that's going to redeem this whole thing. So no, not to hell with all the sinners out there. To hell with this orphan spirit thing that's left in here. That's what needs to go back to hell where it came from. Because nothing in the work of God was ever orphan spirited. Y'all stand up with me. Just maybe, if we take hold of this today, we'll get to adopt some sons and daughters into our lives too in the years to come.
King Jesus, I thank you for the way that you made a way for me to be an adopted son of our Father. I thank you for the way that you call me brother, even whenever I was wicked and far away, alienated in my mind, and had no idea who I belonged to. You looked at me, Jesus, whenever I was in my filth. You looked at me whenever I showed no promise, and you called me brother from a distance. And you came running after me whenever nobody else was running after me. Jesus, I thank you that you placed me in a family. And I thank you that you've given me this specific family. God, I thank you that for every one of our quirks that we have, that we still get to do this thing together. Jesus, you have always been working through families. And God, I thank you that there is a simple revelation that we can preach the rest of our lives. And it's this right here that we talked about today, God. Your scriptures have borne witness since the beginning and since before the beginning of creation that you have always worked this way. So God, help us, Lord. Help us to get rid of the complications and all of the commercializing of the ministry of your gospel and of your Holy Spirit and get back to the simplicity, God, of just being a family and loving each other again. Lord Jesus, we love you and we thank you that you have made us made a way for us to come running back home with you and with the Father. We love you, and we pray in your name, Jesus. Amen.